Standing Ready, the podcast that gives you an inside look at the untold history of the VA's medical innovations with your hosts, Katie Della Sensory and Sean Spittler. Welcome back to season two. We want to take a minute to give credit where credit is due because this show would not exist without one key individual, Mitch Merkin. He had been part of the Office of Research and Development for 21 years, and Mitch was single-handedly responsible for introducing us to almost every guest we've had on the show. His generosity has been instrumental in our bringing this show to life. We decided it was a no-brainer to interview him in Season 2 because the passion he brought to the work of ORD connected us to so many researchers, scientists, and clinicians who are working on incredible projects you're going to hear about this season. This episode was intended to air mid-season, but Mitch passed away days before season two was supposed to air. We decided to release this episode first in tribute to this wonderful man. We feel this episode frames the entire season and captures the real spirit of the show. So without further ado, here's our interview. Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm Sean Spittler. With me is Katie Della Sensory, my co-host extraordinaire. Hello, everybody. And joining us today is Mitch Merkin. And as of this recording, he is the current acting director of communications for the Office of Research and Development. He's been in that role for the past 21 years. Mitch, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sean. Great to be here with you and Katie. Actually, small correction, I've been with the Office of Research and Development 21 years, but not as acting director all that time. I was- Ah, okay supervisory writer, editor for many years, uh, in the role of acting director for about the past two years. And uh, as we understand it, you might be moving along here and doing something new. What are you possibly working into? Yeah, thanks, Sean. Good question. I'm going to be leading up a program for the Office of Research and Development that I'm tentatively calling VA SNAP. VA SNAP. And the acronym SNAP stands for Supporting and Nurturing Academic Publishing. So I'm going to be creating programs to help VA researchers in the field with their academic writing skills as it relates to grant proposals, uh, manuscripts, to shore up those skills, provide training opportunities, also connect VA researchers with freelance medical writers and editors as needed to support them in sharing their research, disseminating their research, as is typically done in the research community, via journals, professional journals, and making sure that they've done the best job possible in writing up their their study findings or other research articles for peer review and for publication, and ideally in high-impact leading medical and scientific journals. So they already do a pretty good job at that, but here and there, there are needs for support. So I'll be leading this program to provide that kind of training and support to uh, shore up the, that academic publishing effort within the VA research community. So that's very cool. Now, now this is specifically you're working with employees of the VHA, or are you are you reaching out to like students and, and who may not be connected to the VA? No, this will be strictly for VA employees, VHA employees, people who are already working as researchers within the VA system. Some of them may be junior investigators who are relatively new to the field. Some of them may be doing fellowships and such, but they, they are already within the VA research system. One of the the parts of this that I'm really excited about is trying to stand up groups at the local level. So sort of learning groups at VA medical centers where we'll have more established investigators who have very strong publishing histories, very strong skills, with academic publishing, serving as mentors, helping those more junior 
researchers to understand how they can best write up their research and, and uh, do it in a way that's going to increase their chances for acceptance of their manuscripts at, at the higher impact journals. So I envision a, a system whereby we'll have this entire network of these groups across the, the VA research system. And we have more than 100 sites in VA where research takes place. So ideally, if I can get the, these kinds of local learning groups, kind of a local peer review where uh, investigators will review each other's manuscripts and help them um, strengthen those those drafts before they get submitted to the journals. And I'll be modeling part of it on something I've seen at the NIH, at the National Institutes of Health, where they've also set up these types of groups. But I think we have tremendous potential to do it in VA, given our nationwide system. Uh, you know, at the NIH example, I think if I recall, it was more of a for the intramural program, which is their research program based right there at their NIH facilities in Maryland, as opposed to their extramural program, which involves researchers at different facilities all across the nation. So in VA, this, by nature of our program, it's being a, a nationwide program, this would be an effort that would encompass the entire research network from Hawaii to Puerto Rico and Maine and uh, California and everywhere in between those 100 plus sites and really have a strong infrastructure at the local level to strengthen the academic publishing skills and make sure we're doing the best job we can at disseminating VA research in the professional community. So, of course, we have our efforts to communicate about VA research to veterans and the public. This is more in the realm of communicating about the findings of VA research for the professional community, other doctors, other healthcare providers, other researchers, so that they can see the work VA has done, learn from it, build on it, opportunities for collaboration. So it's very exciting stuff, and it's sort of a good segue for me at this point in my career, and I'm looking forward to it. Very cool. So I want to start by saying that uh, for all of our listeners that Mitch has been really critical and the making of this show. He has connected us with, I think, all of our guests in some way or another. It only made sense to have you be a part of season two. And especially, uh, you know, we don't want to leave you before we have the opportunity to talk to you. This is a, a great opportunity for us to just kind of introduce you to the listeners and for us to get to know a little bit more about, about you and picking your brain on, on everything that is uh, Office of Research and Development. And after 21 years in in this office, you know, there's there's so much as as Sean and I have discovered through our interviews this season. You know, the VA Research Network is so wide and so diverse and has grown so much from from its origins in the 1920s. Can you kind of talk a little bit about the origins of VA research with us and and kind of tell us how it all got started? Well, great question, Katie. We trace the origins of the VA research program back to 1925. So we'll actually be coming up on our 100-year anniversary uh, in 2025. So we're already starting to think about that. Uh, it's, it's a really cool thing to think that this program has been in existence uh, that long. But we trace the, the beginnings of the program back to the days when uh, VA began publishing something that was called the, the U.S. Veterans Bureau Medical Bulletin. Um, and it was designed in part to, quote, promote research along practical lines. And that's a very important sense because from those days all the way up until the present day, the focus of VA research has really been the practical side of research, not just acquiring knowledge for the sake of knowledge 
um, or because of scientific curiosity, but really doing it in order to improve veterans' care. What are the practical takeaways we can get from research so that we can go into the hospitals, the clinics, and actually have better treatments for veterans. So that was the intent all the way back then in 1925, and that's the intent uh, today in 2022, and I'm sure it will remain that way going forward. But there was really a process that began back in those days of starting to build a research program, starting to think about what the role of VA could be, and back then we weren't known as VA, the, that evolved over time, there were other names for the Bureau and such, but regardless of what the, how the agency was known or what the exact structure was nationwide, many of these uh, researchers started to think about how VA could contribute in the research field, again, with a focus on the practical care for veterans, but starting to align with the greater medical establishment. Where can we fit in? What is our unique niche in this? And uh, many of these early pioneers in VA research were themselves veterans. And that's always an interesting theme. I, I looked through the history book that we have uh, detailing the history of the program uh, since the 20s. It's a great volume, by the way, just adding that out there. It's 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 a, it's a become a Bible to me, yeah. It is sort of a Bible, and uh, I keep a copy here close by my desk. And you have photos of many of these folks, mostly men in those days, you know, that, that was typical of the, the nature of things, but many of them appearing in their military uniforms. Uh, they had been uh, in World War One. After that, you had many World War II veterans who were part of the military medical system and then came over to VA to help set up and stand up um, programs within VA. And it evolved from there. We were leaders in some of the early uh, clinical trials, for example, uh, aimed at treating uh, tuberculosis and then pneumonia. Those were big issues, big problems for veterans back in the 1920s and 30s. And we did clinical trials on the drug streptomycin, for example, antibiotic, which is still uh, one of the antibiotics used today, from what I understand. But really laying the groundwork, uh, especially in the area of clinical trials, to be able to involve lots of patients. You know, the power from in clinical trials comes from the numbers of patients. You need mm -hmm. rigorous, well-designed trials. But the fact that you have this nationwide system with all these hospitals that could enroll hundreds, in some cases, thousands of patients in clinical trials was a, a huge asset that VA brought to the table. And that's true today as well. Uh, we've had, uh, we, we have a clinical trial running now focused on colorectal cancer prevention, and it has more than 50,000 veterans enrolled. It's the largest single clinical trial in VA history. But even going back to the, the 20s, 30s, 40s, the idea that you could have these large clinical trials with uh, across multiple VA sites, uh, testing the effectiveness of, of drug A versus drug B, that really laid the groundwork for what we've come to know today as, as the clinical trials that we're familiar with, for example, the ones we've, we've seen from the vaccines for COVID-19 uh, that VA was involved in, but for so many other conditions, um, it led to the establishment of what we call the VA Cooperative Studies Program which I believe got started in the, was it the 50s or 60s, I believe, but by the 1970s for sure, was running some of the most important clinical trials in the nation's history. Uh, for example, on heart disease, uh, figuring out the best ways to treat various uh, cardiovascular conditions. We've gone on to do any number of major 
multi-site clinical trials that over time, over the decades, have contributed in very substantial ways to care not only for veterans, but for all Americans, and for that matter, for people around the world. If you look at uh, some of the clinical guidelines, even today, I was talking with someone about this just a couple of days ago, uh, we were looking into a particular cardiovascular condition and how it's treated. And you look at the clinical guidelines that are being put out today by organizations like the American College of Cardiology and other organizations. And in the footnotes, you'll see many references to even these VA trials from back in the 1970s. So they were seminal trials. They were very important trials. They still are being referred to today for what they taught, what they showed about the effectiveness of various treatments. So that's been probably one of the major contributions of VA research over the years. Now, what I really find fascinating is, is you know, VA research has its roots in the 1920s, in the post-World War I period, and you have a confluence of, of several things. You have, you know, the medical profession really becoming, uh, you know, more of a profession and associations and medical schools um, popping up. And then you also at the same time have, you know, veterans returning from World War One, you know, who had been exposed to mustard gas, who had respiratory issues. Um, you start to see, you know, cardiovascular issues and cancer and VA really takes an active role in, in researching these issues and trying to figure out, you know, what's what's the cause here? And, and I've seen articles, you know, like, is mustard gas linked to lung cancer? And they're trying to explore all of these things. And then that really sort of can have research labs. And it just sort of seems like from um, the post-World War II period, it just sort of opens these floodgates and you have this huge, you know, progression and things that I didn't really even know until I came to VA that were, were came out of these research programs, you know, like the cardiac pacemaker, you know, the cigarette smoking patch, all of these things that have not only helped veterans, but really the whole world. Um, and it's just amazing to hear that some of these, you know, the, the trials, you know, they reference back to the 70s and even further. And I think in, in our interviews, there's really a, a sense of history with some of these um, people who who we who are working on things today and how some of these things are tied to the past. So. Yeah, and, and you're right, Katie. And certainly that after the, the affiliation with the, the nation's medical schools that uh, started to flourish after World War II, that was a huge uh, boom to VA research. Uh, and, and that affiliation uh, between VA research programs at the local level and their affiliate universities, you might have a medical center that is affiliated with two or more universities, usually at least one. And these are, of course, some of the top uh, academic institutions in the nation, Harvard University, Yale University School of Medicine, Stanford, uh, names like that. So certainly our our investigators quite often are professors or at least associate professors or assistant professors at some of these leading uh, academic institutions to include, you know, of course, all the Ivy League ones, but the many other fine universities throughout the country. And that give and take, that back and forth between the VA health system, which is really, uh, if, I know you've talked to people from the Office of Academic Affiliations, VA is such a, an important training resource for our nation's healthcare workers, including doctors, physicians, but many other disciplines as well. But through the research is also part of that. So you have these medical students and residents and fellows who are doing rounds in VA hospital, providing clinical care, but also being involved in research, uh, partnering with our 
full-time VA investigators or long-time research career scientists, for example, that partnership, that flow of information and new knowledge back and forth between the VA system and the university system is really, it, it's a bedrock in, in, in medical research. And another thing I just wanted to pick up on that you mentioned, uh, you talked about mustard gas, uh, soldiers being exposed to mustard gas and the, the effects uh, on veterans' health uh, in the years following the, the war. And it's really the common thread. So even today, people say, well, why do we need a, a research program at VA? Don't we have NIH? Don't... Well, that's true, and NIH does a great job, but we are the only agency that is dedicated to these issues that affect veterans predominantly or exclusively, war-related, combat-related issues like PTSD, traumatic brain injury, limb loss, spinal cord injury. We are a leader in those issues. Yes, we also do study the the common chronic diseases that affect veterans like they affect most Americans uh, as they age, hypertension, heart disease, diabetes. That's true. We also study those, but our uniqueness lies in those veteran-specific issues that I mentioned, for example, PTSD, uh, TBI, those things that uh, affect veterans that no one else in the country is really uh, studying intensively like we are. Now, that said, even in those areas, we have wonderful partnerships with external institutions, and that's a big part of the history of VA research as well. And, and certainly today, we are just starting a, a Gulf War study, study focused on Gulf War veterans in partnership with the National Institutes of Health. Uh, we have a partnership with the National Institute on Aging that is doing some work with Alzheimer's disease uh, involving many veterans at different VA sites. So those partnerships with external agencies are very important. They, they were important uh, in the past decades and they certainly are, are crit critical in 2022 as we look ahead to the future of VA research. So as we get ready to wrap up uh, your portion of the episode, Mitch, I wanted to bring up something that I've been, one, fascinated by, uh, and two, uh, kind of involved in in a, in a very small degree, because I've been working on this uh, sort of documentary for the Million Veteran Program. And I'm fascinated by, one, the fact that it's genomics, and, and that genomics kind of is fascinating to me anyway, but that... VA is in a really interesting position given the a number of veterans that kind of involved in any like for example PTSD like we can really study PTSD from a genomics standpoint if we can get people to sign up for this project so I thought maybe we could kind of spend a couple minutes just talking about that and and the unique position that VA is in to help aid in something using genomics for something like PTSD among other things Right. And thank you, Sean. That's really a great point. And it would be a shame if we concluded this intro without mentioning the Million Veteran Program. And you're right. So many veterans to date, more than 850,000 veterans out there have raised their hand and stepped forward and said, yeah, I want to be part of MVP, uh, mainly for altruistic reasons, mainly to help veterans of the future. Because this is research is a long process. You know, that's true basically across any type of, of research. Uh, there are rare exceptions where we have a, a fast track and we find out stuff really quickly, but generally speaking, research is a slow process, it's incremental, and it takes a long time. So the, M the Million Veteran Program was stood up in 2011 as a vision, as almost a dream. Uh, there were focus groups with veterans at the time uh, through some of the VSOs, asking veterans their thoughts, their ideas about 
this kind of program? Would you participate? How do you feel? Do you feel comfortable sharing your uh, genetic information? Of course, there are many privacy safeguards in place in MVP, but the, the program has grown surely but steadily all the years. They are looking forward to reaching the one millionth veteran enrollee sometime next year. They've published many important papers today. Now, are there, as we speak today, uh, practical impacts on on care as a result of the MVP? Not quite yet. They're moving toward that. So they're learning which genetic variants uh, play a role in PTSD, in mental health conditions like schizophrenia, in diabetes. How do those genetic variants affect which treatments will will be more effective for one ver veteran versus another veteran, those types of questions. So many, many questions, many different health conditions, but this ability to have that much data, this is big data uh, for sure. It's one of the largest databases of its kind in the world. We're sure to see clinical impacts from that data as we look ahead to the next five to 10 years. Again, research is a long process. In fact, if I just may add before we wrap up, uh, Sean and Katie, I learned something interesting just the other day. We all heard earlier this year about this amazing uh, operation that was done at the University of Maryland. Uh, I don't know if you recall, it was all over the news back in January 2022. They transplanted a genetically modified heart from a pig into a human being. Right. And this was a first of its kind. I didn't know until earlier this week that VA research helped lay the groundwork for that. There was oh, Dr. Okay. Richard Pearson, um, who used to be at the Nashville VA in the late 90s, and then he moved to the Baltimore VA, where he started working together also with the University of Maryland team. And his research that was initially funded by VA research, the VA Office of Research and Development, to look at genetic modifications to pig hearts and how it could help avoid rejection of the pig heart in the human patient, he really helped to lay the groundwork for what we read about in the news, this tremendous procedure that's going to no doubt help many veterans and others who need transplants um, in the years going forward. Well, sure enough, VA played a role in that. And I think there are probably countless stories uh, that I hope the VA History Office will help us uncover as we go forward. These things that have heretofore been obscure that would have been relegated to the dustbin of history, but sure enough, there's a VA connection in so many advances in medical care. And it's, it's always exciting when we learn about those connections and we're able to bring them to light. So thank you, Sean and Katie, for standing ready, because on this podcast, you're helping us tell these stories and it's a really valuable thing. Absolutely. And uh, just regarding that pig story, uh, we will be talking later in the season with Dr. Yosef Stelic about, about that. So uh, if our listeners want to tune in a little later and in the coming weeks, uh, they will get treated to a little more in-depth story on that topic. Great foreshadowing. <laughs> <laughs> no, Mitch, I just want to thank you so much for jumping into the past and, you know, showing how it's connected to the future. And really the Million Veteran Program is such an exciting, you know, next chapter for, for VA research that I think this is great to, to kind of um, tie everything together. And and speaking of research being a long game, we're, we're going to start talking with Dr. Khalil Ahmed, who has been a, a VA researcher since 1978. So he's he's definitely <laughs> understands how, how long of a game VA research can be. So thank you. It was a pleasure to speak with you, Katie and Sean, and we'll speak soon. All right. Thank you so much, Mitch. Thanks, Mitch.